Let's pray together. Lord God, we come this morning and we do, we pant for you and we look to you, how deeply we need you at every level, at home, at work, school, at church, everywhere. So we look to you this morning and we pant for you, we pant that you would make us and shape us and that we become more like your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that you would do your work in us this morning. I know I long for it in myself, and I know we long for it as well, and we pray that you would help us with all the variety of challenges or, or issues or whatever they be, or struggles or conflicts or whatever it may be, or the spiritual warfare, may we look to you, may we become more like your son, Jesus Christ. May we see that you are at work in all these things to conform us to your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. Have eyes to see. Help us to know you more. Know your word more. To know sound doctrine more. May you work, Lord, to make more disciples that you would use us, that we would go and make disciples by your grace and your, the power of your spirit at work in us. Help us. May more know and receive Christ. We've been here this morning. If there are any who don't know Christ this morning, may you work in their hearts today and help them to see their need for your son. And so we pray and pant and pray for you to work, Lord, in us. May you do your work. We come now and we come under your word. May your word change us, Lord. Help us, Father. Humble us. Help us not to come over your word, but come under it. Give us grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the letter to the Galatians. We'll be continuing our study, walking through this letter. We'll be in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 this morning. Of course, today is October 31st, 2021. So many right now, maybe you are, you're thinking about a lot of things, and maybe even very specifically, some of you might be thinking a lot about candy. <laughs> and even that, that bucket at home that is waiting for you after this service. <laughs> or maybe later today, you're going to go and get some candy or trunk or treat or something else. One thing I like to think about today and consider today is, is something known historically as Reformation Day. Amen. So on this day, 504 years ago, October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther, he hammered his 95 theses on the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg. So in many ways, 
what the Protestant reformer was protesting then is similar to what we've really been seeing in Galatians. Funny enough, and this is not just way back then, but this is something that has consistently and continually has been something that the church has had to do and has had to fight for and to contend for the gospel. So in Luther's day, the Roman Catholic Church, they were adding all sorts of things to the gospel. Now, I'm not going to go into all the various things that went into that and what they were doing, but if we could summarize it in one simple formula, it would be this. Faith plus works equals justification. That's what they were proclaiming. There's more that could be said in this, but then here was Martin Luther saying, no, no, no. We need the true gospel, which is not faith plus works equals justification. It is Christ and Christ alone. By faith alone, by grace alone. And so it is that we have these various solas from the Reformation. Well, in Paul's day, though, it wasn't the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church that he was contending with. He was contending with another group called the Judaizers. They said something very similar which we can just think to Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. But they were saying essentially Jesus plus circumcision plus the Old Testament law equals salvation. (laughs) Sounds similar, doesn't it? Now, so far, Paul, he has been urgently saying to all of this, to each piece and part of the Judaizers and what they're claiming, what they're saying, he's saying a big No way! That is not the gospel. Absolutely not. And I don't think me saying it that way is overemphasizing what he's doing here. We have seen that, right? I mean, he is urgent. No, that is not the one true, real gospel. However, in our passage this morning, we find a surprise. It wasn't a Judaizer this time that Paul is having to address here. Instead, it is perhaps someone we might not expect. In fact, it would be none other than the Apostle Peter himself. So we need to ask, and appropriately, you might be asking, what could possibly have led to this? You know, two apostles in conflict. Well, this brings us then to our verses here in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And so, let's read the word of God, and may God help us have eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. 
But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews, they acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? As we kind of initially take in these verses, and you may have read these verses many times, but as good students of Scripture and as good students of the Word, we need to aim to do our best to put ourselves in their shoes. So as we take these in, do these these verses surprise you? I mean, they really are rather unexpected. Well, we just saw in verses 1 through 10, that we saw there that they ended rather resolutely, even decisively. You know, Paul and the other apostles, including Peter, they're all on the same page. You know, good to go. <laughs> you know, everything was fine, all was good. One gospel for the nations, Jew and Gentile alike, don't add, don't subtract. It's salvation through faith in Christ and Christ alone. Everyone's on the same page. Well, everyone except the Judaizers. Yet then we have these verses here. And Paul, he has to confront an apostle. So what in the world happened? Well, first we see here Peter's withdrawal. Peter's withdrawal. So the scene, it shifts here from Jerusalem in chapter 2, verse 1, if you remember from the previous verses, to now we are in Antioch. So this is 300 miles north of Jerusalem. So at first, all is fine and good as we're reading here. So before chapter 2, verse 12, so before Peter was eating with the Gentiles. So, you know, we hear that. Yeah, you know, great. You're living out the implications of the gospel, Peter. Praise the Lord. You know, we come to that part. Our souls are content. (laughs) Happy to hear these things. But he stops. And he gets up and he essentially switches tables. You know, it makes me think back to school, you know, and many of you, it may make you think back to school as well, you know, when I would go and eat in the cafeteria, in the school cafeteria, you know, one moment you're there and maybe the cool kids come in and your good friend gets up and goes and sits with them. Well, something similar is happening here. One moment moment there is Peter eating, rejoicing and fellowshipping with his brothers and sisters in the Lord, Gentile believers. Then after these men come in, he won't sit with them anymore. Verse 12, he 
he drew back and he separated himself from them. So why? What happened? Why, Peter? Well, first we need to say that he did not change his theology. He did not change his theology. He did not change his beliefs. No, right now, right here, he is still believing and holding to the truth that there is one gospel for all peoples throughout the nations. Now, Peter, he used to not quite think that way. He used to think differently. However, since Acts chapter 10, where God, he showed him just how extensive his plans are. So what in the world happened in Acts chapter 10? Well, in Acts chapter 10, verses 11 through 14, Peter, he had a vision. And in this vision, Peter, he saw the heavens opened. And a great sheet comes down from the heavens that covered all the earth. And inside of it were all these various animals of all the earth. And as he sees this, then God, he speaks to him And he tells Peter in Acts 10.13, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And at hearing this, you know, Peter's like, what? I mean, that's not quite fitting with the way I understand, like, Judaism and, and the way I've lived my whole life. What in the world are you talking about? So after some protesting, then God speaks to Peter a second time in chapter 10.15. He says, What God has made clean, do not call common. Okay? So what does that mean? Well, it means under Christ. In the new covenant, in Christ, what God is doing, He's declaring all food clean. Everywhere. And so God is telling Peter that. That is a big change, a big shocker. I mean, you have the Old Testament law, all these various laws for eating and what you can eat, what you can't eat. And God is now saying, everything is clean in Christ. And so that's a big shocker for Peter. But in this, there's more. Following this, a Gentile named Cornelius, he comes to Peter right after this and knocks at his door. After Cornelius himself had been given a vision from God as well. And so Peter opens the door and like, whoa, you know, here you are. And so he goes with Cornelius. And Peter, he says this in chapter 10, verse 28. You yourselves know how unlawful. So he's talking to all of them, Cornelius and all these Gentiles. He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. In other words, Peter saw what God was saying. He saw that the one gospel is for all and is to be preached to all people, to Jews and Gentiles alike. No discrimination, no caveat, no qualification. Everybody, everywhere, preach the gospel to them. So he knows that. Now he hears that. That's his theology. And we actually see this in Galatians as well. So in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, 
Peter, he takes his stand with Paul and the others. What boldness against the Judaizers, making it absolutely plain there are not two Gospels, but there is only one Gospel. So he did all that. And then we have these verses. (laughs) So what is going on here? Why does Peter withdraw from the Gentiles then? I mean, he took some bold stances, right? Well, we find the answer here in verse 12. He feared men. He feared men. It says he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So encountering these men from James, the circumcision party, or could also be translated those of the circumcision, Peter, he was afraid, and he stopped associating with the Gentiles. So this was not a small thing. (laughs) This was a problem. And his actions... They had consequences, and the consequences of his sin were serious. We see in verse 13 that Jews, they began then to follow his lead. And even Barnabas follows his lead. And just to magnify how even Barnabas, like that phrase that's intended, like what? Even him? Well, he, he already had ministered to Gentiles. And yet here he is, because of Peter, kind of backing away from Gentiles. Even Peter, or even Barnabas, is led astray by Peter. And so this is a big deal. This was gospel contradicting hypocrisy of the most dangerous sort. Peter's Actions were out of step with the gospel. That's a major phrase. Now before we kind of blow up Peter, what are you doing, you jerk? You know, like, you know, just what are you what are you doing, Peter? I mean, that's 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 terrible, man. Before we kind of go there and just say, woe to you, Peter. Getting closer to Thanksgiving, I think we need to eat some humble pie. We need to ask ourselves, who do you fear? Who do you fear? Could it be that there is some, there is someone in your life like this right now? And I would wager there probably is. What if that person, just get that person in your mind. What if that person or that group came into our church right now? How would you respond? Might you even do as Peter did and perhaps shrink back? Now, we can tend to throw slow balls for ourselves, if you know what I mean. You know, kind of make it easy for ourselves. Oh, no, <laughs> not me. 
I don't fear anybody. You know, we like to think of ourselves this way, but friends, when these things come at us, they don't come at us with slow balls. They come at us fast, perhaps in ways that we didn't even expect. So let's be more specific. What if right now your boss came in to our church? What, what if it was, you know, your teacher that came in to our church right now? What if it was a friend of yours? Maybe you haven't really told them you're a Christian and they come in here to our church and they see you. Oh, I didn't even know you were a Christian. Or what about a family member? What if it was that family member? (laughs) You know the one I'm talking about. The one that it's not easy to talk to. What about the cool kids at school, children here? For you who know the Lord, what about you? Can you believe that he's a Christian? Can you believe that she is a Christian? I think we just need to see that this isn't something that Peter is the only one struggling with in this here, is he? I think we can struggle with this too. So I think we need to eat some humble pie this morning and examine ourselves and ask ourselves these questions. And then let me ask another question. Kind of examining and considering his hypocrisy here. And even ask ourselves this. What will be the cost? What will be the cost of our hypocrisy? You know, hypocrisy still is costly today. And, and make no mistake... What Peter was doing here was hypocrisy. Paul, he tells us plainly here in verses 13 and 14. Could it be that we have become okay with saying one thing and doing another thing entirely? Are we saying that we love Jesus and then go about hating those Jesus came to save? Are we saying that we love Jesus and then neglect desperately sharing the gospel with those around us? We neglect those who are desperately in need of the gospel around us. Are we walking in ways that are out of step with the gospel in our home? At school, even here at church, at work with our spouses, with our children, or even while no one else is around? No softball questions here. I know these aren't easy questions. But friends, if you're like me, as imperfect and as sinful and as I need Christ in every single way as I am, I want these hard questions that I may become more like Christ. If I am walking in the fear of man, Lord, make me more like Christ in that area. 
If I am walking in hypocrisy, Lord, make me more like Christ in that. So let's not throw ourselves softball questions here. And so let's do well to ask these questions. And not of your neighbor next to you, but of yourself. Now positively, it's negatively. Positively, how might, if we then took this up and we said, all right. By God's grace, I'm going to pursue Christ-likeness and throwing off hypocrisy wherever I find it. How might then the gospel advance if we said no to hypocrisy and we put on the armor of God and we took up the word of God and we walked and stepped with the gospel of God? What God, what might God do then? Now, years ago in southern, southern India, there was a professor who was a Hindu And he was lecturing on various subjects related to education. And in his audience were a number of Christians as well. And they were listening in to him as he lectured. And as he kind of continued on, he he went on and he made this statement. He said, I see that a good many of you here are Christians. Now, this is not a religious lecture, but I would like to pause long enough to say that if you would live like Jesus Christ, India would be at your feet tomorrow. And I wonder, what of us in America? If we would just live like Christ. And I'm not saying you don't sin. You don't mess up. I mess up. I sin. But when you do, own it. Yes, I'm a sinner. But Christ saved this sinner. And he can save you too. So yes, we will mess up. We will sin. But what if we said no to hypocrisy? And yes to following Christ truly. And so I said all this before us as we see the costliness of Peter's hypocrisy and ask, what if we walked in step with the gospel in our day? So see how serious these questions are. So as you hear these questions, let's ask another question. How might we then? How do we overcome the fear of man? How do we keep in step with the gospel? Well, it's simple. Yet it will be challenged in a thousand ways, perhaps every day. And it's this. Look and keep looking to Christ. I told you it was simple. (laughs) You know, not, not deep profundity there. But that is how. We fear men the most when we most lose sight of Christ. That was what was happening with Peter. He was losing sight 
Kind of like when he was on the water, right? You know, and there's Jesus, you know, walking on the water, lose sight, you know, fall in the water. It's the same with us. We lose sight of him when people are big and God is small. When that time comes, the temptation to fear men comes there and then it is that our eyes need not be moved. You need to go and cling to Christ even more. Yes, you're going to tremble. Yes, you may be afraid. Yes, you may say, oh man, I want to I separate myself from these Christians because this cool kid came in or because, you know, these other people came in and they're not going to think it's cool or they may hurt me even because I'm following Jesus. They may say hurtful things to me because I'm following Jesus. There and then, as your heart trembles, it is then that you need to look to your God. You need to look to Christ. You need to remember the gospel. You need to remember his grace towards you. You need to fix your eyes upon your Lord. It's simple, right? But it's hard. Get these things in ourselves, Lord. Or it might be to this day, perhaps, it is the fear of man that has kept you from Christ. Maybe you're here. When you hear the call to come to faith in Christ, you say, no, no, no. I can't do that because these people will think I'm crazy. These people will think I'm not cool, you know. My family members will just throw me out. So maybe you're here and you're afraid of following Christ because of what people may say and how they might look at you and what they might do. Well, friend, take your eyes off of all of that right now, off of all of them right now, and consider your own soul. Ask yourself, putting all of them aside, what is the state of your soul before the living God? Are you right now, this very moment, lost and separated from God? Are you right now dead in your sins and trespasses before God? You don't know Him. If you died right now, you would go to hell. But what you need is clear. It is not it is not their approval. It is not their brief applause that will last for a second compared to eternity. What you need is Christ. Amen. Everyone else might well leave you. I cannot promise you that they will not leave you, but Christ will never leave you. He came for you, He came for sinners. And is this not what we just heard a moment ago from Luke chapter 5? What Francie read a minute ago. What was Jesus doing? He didn't get up. Look at him. Eating with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus will not leave you. Ever. He came for you. He came for me. And so set Christ before you now. If you don't know Christ, run to Christ now.
and put your faith in him and believe. Run to him, Christian, as well now, not from him. And so when that day comes, because it will come, cling to his word, remember who he is, and remember who you are in Christ. That you don't belong to them, you belong to him. And so we see Peter's sad withdrawal here. But then following this, following his withdrawal, we see then second, Paul's rebuke. Paul's rebuke. Now sitting on this side of the rebuke, I think we might feel quite comfortable. <laughs> you, know? you know, I'm not Peter, so I'm in good shape. You know, I'm glad that was him and not me. But let me just ask, I'm asking a lot of questions this morning. Let me ask you, but but what if one day you are? You know, I've had to sit down with a number of people over the years who have professed Christ and that they're following Christ and they have left Christ or they're fallen into some sin. They've taken their eyes off of Jesus. And people that I thought I never would have to perhaps sit down with and had to call them back to God's word. And so if you're sitting here thinking, well, that will never happen to me. I mean, there are thousands, millions in history who could say the same thing. So it may very well be one day you that needs to receive a correction like Paul is giving here to Peter. Now that may make you squirm a bit in your seat, right? Especially when the theme of our day is what? It's just fine. Everything is fine. Tolerance is the theme of our day. (laughs) You know, whatever you do, you do it. You know, you do you. Whatever that means. You know, and our, our reply is too often right in line with all of this. You know, if someone ever comes to us and kind of challenges us, like with the word and perhaps something that we're doing that is not in step with the word and with the gospel, in light of a culture that just, that's the air we breathe, we just say, how dare you say I'm wrong about anything? How intolerant. We just take all that cultural stuff and just bring it out. (laughs) When someone comes to us. And so friends, let me just plead with you. Learn right now, even now, that you and I, and hear me well, you and I can be wrong. Me too. I can be wrong. You can be wrong. We sin. You can sin. We make mistakes. You do. I do. And so see plainly here that Paul's rebuke of Peter, it was necessary. Peter's actions, they were indeed contradicting the gospel. You know, as we saw a moment ago, his actions, they were not just simply sterile. They weren't without effect. So also with your actions, with our actions, with our sin, it is not sterile. 
our gospel-contradicting actions, they are not without effect. And so Paul's rebuke, it was right, it was necessary, and it was public. It was public. To verses 11 and 14. Now notice there, Paul, he went, he went to Peter, how? Face to face, right? In person. He didn't, he didn't send him an email. Not that he had email back in that day. But I, I would say if he was here today, this is what Paul, what Paul would do as well. He would go face to face. He didn't post it on Facebook. He didn't have a quarrel with someone. He didn't do that. He didn't write a text. Oh, yeah, I'm going to tell them good. He didn't do that. He went in person. And as far as it is up to us, we need to seek to resolve conflict in person. There may be times when that's not the case. We cannot. As far as it depends on us, we need to aim there. And, and Paul, he didn't go out of a desire for personal vengeance. He wasn't going there like, I'm going to show, show Peter. He thinks he's an apostle. Well, I'm a, I'm a better apostle than he is, you know. That's not what he's doing. He doesn't go out of a personal vendetta. Because, but he goes because he loves Christ. He loves Peter. And because Peter was sinning, he was going astray and he was leading others astray. Now, in conflict, this is exactly what Jesus calls you and I to do as well. Well, how do we know that? Well, we know it from Matthew 18. Jesus tells us how to resolve conflict there. Did you know that? He actually tells you how to resolve conflict in relationships with other people. Well, in Matthew 18, 15, Jesus, he guides us and he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's an important point. <laughs> Between you and him alone, like you don't go to everyone else. You go first and foremost between the two of you only. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. I'll leave the rest of Matthew for you to read those verses because he continues. But that is the normal way that we are to respond to conflict. But notice also Paul here, what he, he does, he does it publicly here too, doesn't he? Right? Verse 14, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all. What? Paul, you're contradicting Jesus, you know? Is that what he's doing? No, he's not doing that at all. He's not violating Jesus' words here. There are times with especially serious sin, and especially in the case of leaders who sin, that it must be addressed in a more immediate public way. And we see this in other places. We see this in 1 Corinthians 5. You know, I'm not going to read all that, but what we find there, you can look at that yourself as well after this morning, but... What we find there is that Paul, he finds out that a man has been sleeping with his father's wife, a son. <laughs> so in the church, and the church is boasting about it. And it's, it's so bad that even, even those around them, even those outside the church know that the church, this has happened. And they're like, whoa, that's bad. You know, even other people outside the church are saying that's bad. 
And so Paul, he calls upon the Corinthian church to gather together as the body of Christ and to address it. And so also, he calls us to do the same with especially public heinous sin. And so we see that there and then also with leaders like Peter or pastors who sin. Paul, he writes in 1 Timothy 5, 19, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. And so in view of all this then, let me ask you, do you have a category for godly correction? Do you have a category for godly correction? This is what that was. It was Paul's godly correction of Peter. It was a grace of God for Peter and it's a grace of God for us. Those verses, they may sound scary, perhaps depending on which side you're on with that, but it's God seeking after his children. It is a grace of God. When you find a brother or sister coming after you saying, brother, sister, don't go off that cliff there because it's no good for you. That's God pursuing you, a believer pursuing obedience to the word of God. And this is to go both ways, and so receiving and giving. So do you have a category for receiving godly correction like someone comes to you a believer here and they maybe come to you and they say hey brother or sister you're going off the cliff I'm trying to help you back off of it you have a category for that and you have a category for even giving godly correction we're going to get that there later in Galatians Galatians 6 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So we're going to come back to this as well. But you have these categories. And all this is, is just, it's foreign, right? Maybe you've never heard this before. But it's everywhere in the Bible. David, Nathan, you know? Prophets coming again and again and again. Samuel, I mean, everywhere. Peter, Paul, Jesus. In Proverbs 19.25, it says, Strike a scoffer and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding and he will gain knowledge. So what is that to us? Well, that, that means as believers in Jesus Christ, that we need to have a category that when someone comes to us, we are ready to receive instruction because I know and you know that we are not there yet, right? We're not there yet. I'm not, I'm not in heaven. <laughs> I'm not with Christ. Consummation has not come. So we need these categories. So as we consider all of these things, may we walk in accord with Christ. May we walk in accord with the gospel. 
Now, if we think we might not ever have a Peter moment when we are faced with choosing between the fear of men or the fear of God, remember the words from Luke 5 earlier. What did they say of Jesus? And if you are being like Jesus then, what might they say to you? What did they say again? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? If you sin, may our answer then be, when someone comes to us, a brother or sister comes, we say, amen, brother, sister, thank you for guiding me back to the Savior of my soul. May my feet be in step with the truth of the gospel. For if you're here and you are yet to know Christ, may your answer be, Lord, save me, a sinner in need of a Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we come, and I just pray and even plead for all of us now that you would help us. These words do not come from any one of us that stands above your word, but we come as those who are weak, those who are needy, those who are tempted, those who are tried, those who are fearful, those who struggle, those who have to fight, those who have to deal with spiritual warfare, those who have to deal with conflict, those who have struggles with relationships, those who live in a broken world. And so we just come and ask that you would help us, Father, to take these things to heart, Lord, even as they are simple, yet so, can be so challenging in the moment. Help us, Father, we pray. Give us grace that we would look to Christ and keep looking to Christ. When that fear rises up in us, help us, Lord. It will come. It may come from someone we don't even expect. But that fear so easily comes and so help us to remember our Savior. May we remember our Savior who sat there with tax collectors and sinners. And even if we're there not sitting with others, may we hold fast to Christ. And if, if Lord, one day we are the ones either having to give or have, are being given a correction of this sort, help us, Lord. Give us grace and graciously, gently, pursuing after fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord who have fallen. Or if we are the ones who have fallen, help us, Lord, to receive the word of God and eat it up and say, yes, I want to walk in step with the gospel. I pray and plead for each of us now that that would be true of us. And if there's any here who don't know you, I just pray they would cast off the fear of men. They would cast off any hindrance and run to the Savior this morning.
And so help us, Lord, as we respond to your word. May you help keep us near Christ. Keep us near the cross, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.